It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. Kind of interesting that they're, they've announced this start date weeks ago and haven't announced a schedule yet. And I think that's the biggest piece of the puzzle they're still waiting for is what provinces are they able to start at? What cities can they get fans in and, and how they build that up from, from that level to hopefully full stadiums by the end of the season. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Welcome, everyone, and I have a very special guest today. We've got Jim Mullen, president of Football Canada and host producer of Crown Gridiron Nation on TSN out on the West Coast. Jim, how are you doing today? Oh, we're doing okay. We've got a little road construction across the street, so I hope the mic doesn't pick it up. Uh, nothing like a jackhammer to to break up a, a good podcast. <laughs> I know that some people will argue that's simply me spinning my head around and the rocks crashing between my ears, so I wouldn't worry about it too much. <laughs> Jim, you're in media now. Where did that all start? How did you get involved? What motivated you? Uh, well, I got uh, involved in media, as you can probably tell by the tone of my beard, uh, uh, a number of decades ago, uh, about 30 years ago. I uh, worked in uh, newspapers and uh, then eventually made my way to doing play-by-play and working the marketing side and the broadcasting side at the same time through the Western Hockey League and the, and the BC League. I, uh, I worked at Simon Fraser University and had an opportunity uh, through Jay Triano to uh, work on a world championships of basketball that was in Toronto back in 1994. And uh, from there, I worked for, uh, for FIBA for four years uh, as their international voice of basketball, based out of uh, London, England for, for one of the years, but then basically traveling to various sites and various, uh, various tournaments uh, through Europe and around the world. From there, uh, I ended up working at TSM when there, where there was a uh, Western Broadcast Center back in the day where they did Sports Desk before it was Sports Center uh, between Vancouver and Toronto. That led me uh, back into into some producing and then working in radio where I worked at uh, Team 1040 and then uh, at CKNW where I eventually became the, uh, uh, the um, sports director there. Uh, as we've seen with uh, with radio, maybe outside of Saskatchewan, there's uh, diminishing returns. <laughs> I uh, pivoted out of there and uh, became the director of the 2011 Vanier Cup in terms of event management. And and at that point, that's when we started the TV show. And uh, there's a fellow out of Saskatoon by the name of David Dubé that um, is a big believer in college football on both sides of the border. He has been a stalwart supporter of uh, of the college football things that uh, that we do uh, we created the cornish trophy together and we've created uh, over the last well we're going on to our 11th year now um i think it's a fantastic show <laughs> my name's on it but uh, i think it's a fantastic show in that it builds a, a void uh for canadian football fans to, to really understand what sort of talents in the system where their players come from and uh, and how they're developing uh, week to week uh, during the season with Crown Gridiron Nation on TSN. Uh, that's my background there. Uh, I got involved on the uh, football organization side. I mean, I, I coached and I and I officiated uh, in my twenties and thirties. 
I became involved with Football BC uh, as a board member, and they went through some some issues, and I helped them reorganize and, and bring them into the fold of Football Canada, and that's where I became a board member with Football Canada and two years ago, uh, became the uh, president of Football Canada just in time for a pandemic. <laughs> so it's, it's certainly been uh, filled with its uh, set of challenges, um, uh, being at the uh, top of the board level of a national organization. I can imagine uh, COVID did you no favors when you got that job. Well, you know, we talk about cancel culture. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm part of cancel culture in that I've canceled about... Uh, 26 different events over the last year and a half, uh, whether it's Canada Cup or U18 competition, whether it's our uh, uh, flag competitions, whether it was two substitute world championships uh, for our world junior team. Of course, I always like to mention that we're the two-time defending world champions at the world junior level, and we want to get back on the field and we want to defend that championship. It's been tough, and it's been tough uh, having to always adjust. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like what a lot of people are going through in COVID. What what I'm experiencing isn't unique. Uh, you know, we we focus our sights forward, make plans, and then we have to adjust those plans. Uh, when it came to the Canada Cup, um, you know how you say you have Plan A and Plan B. We were on Plan H. I think we're on plan I right now in terms of interprovincial games and even different versions of that, depending on what provinces open up. That adjustment from province to province, because every province is a different situation, has been challenging, not just from a Football Canada perspective, but you know, really where the rubber hits the road, which is with the provinces. Uh, they're the ones that take a lot of our programming and have that direct interface with the community associations and the high schools and and those groups that are that are actually activating the game. That that's where the big challenge has been. I think our PSOs of provincial sports organizations have done a great job uh, of of staying focused through challenging times where they've needed to make some sacrifices along the way until things can get back to whatever the new normal is going to be. I imagine it's at times very gut-wrenching to have to say to someone, this tournament will not take place. Yeah, it is. You know, the next uh, Canada Cup we have is our 25th. So we've put off our 25th anniversary now for two years, uh, essentially, and we're rescheduling it again for uh, 2022. You can sit in the pocket of uh, of the of the challenge uh, of how it's uh, and the emotion of it of how it's as you say gut wrenching, but it's our job to continue to look forward and continue to plan. And, and so, to immediately when we made that decision back on February the fifteenth, not to have a Canada Cup again this year, we have to shift our focus to twenty twenty two and not look back. That's that. That's our job. That's our duty to players and coaches across the country. And that's what we're doing. So 2022, it's going to be a major reset for uh, for, for football in, in this country. Uh, we'll get the U18s out there. We'll get the U16s out there. Uh, we are planning something of a, of a global or a world competition in and around that as well uh, in Vancouver and trying to find paths for broadcasts for it and get uh, greater exposure for for what's turned out to be a, a fantastic tournament that's uh, probably one of the world's best kept secrets. Which is a shame that it's still a secret because 
truthfully, given the love of football around the planet, you'd think people would just be all over this. Uh, you, you would think so. Uh, you know, I think we saw a sample of um, some of the enthusiasm in Mexico in 2018 when over 30,000 people showed up for a gold medal final uh, at uh, Estadio Olimpico. Uh, that uh, I will once again mention Canada won, <laughs> uh, the United States finishing third in that one. One of the things that um, has really impressed me over the years uh, about Football Canada, whether I'm leading it or other people have been leading it, is the commitment to the international game that we have. Obviously, we play the three-down game in this country. I think that in some ways makes us better prepared than other nations uh, because we need to be more versatile and adaptable when we reach the international level. It In some positions... Uh, develops our, uh, our our athletes on, on a different path, and they they bring more uh, tools uh, out of the tool shed when it comes to these uh, these uh, international competitions. I, I really do believe that that Canada has has represented itself very very well on the international stage, whether it was winning as uh, really driving Team World back in 2011 with Anthony Coombs as the as the MVP at that uh, at that time whether it's the in total three uh, world junior championships, whether it's going down to international bowl and taking on uh, teams from the United States that have future NFLers on them and, and winning some of those games at the, at the U 18 and the U 17 level um, we punch well beyond our weight. And given some of the uh, discussion out there around uh, the future of the Canadian game, we need to remind ourselves in this country that we truly do punch well beyond our weight when it comes to population and the challenge of geography in terms of uh, putting uh, quality football on the field uh, at all ages. We do a good job here, and we can't be afraid to tell ourselves that. You make a great point about the punching above your weight because just think of California. They probably have the population of the entire nation up here and they're stuck in a little corner of the United States. They can draw on that entire area so quickly where you have to look all the way across to the Maritimes four or five time zones away to just see if there's talent out there. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, and, and you know, there's uh, good developmental bases across the country in each of these regions. Don't get me wrong. But when, when you're trying to tie a national vision together, there is that, um, that added strain of, uh, of travel, uh, I'd say of translation, um, of, of uh, available competition coming out of, uh, out of certain regions. Just to put uh, a team from Manitoba uh, together to play against their nearest neighbor. They've got to get on a bus and go to China. <laughs> Let's be... <laughs> uh, you know, let's be uh, realistic about that. You know, it's not like they can just uh, drive to Ontario and, and play Team Ontario. The, the same applies to, to BC. But is that commitment worth it? Yeah, I think the commitment's worth it because I think our country is worth it. You talk about the many associations that you have to deal with. Is it a great group that they're working well together or are you herding cats at times? Sometimes you're hurting cats. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes there's a lot of commonality there. You know, each of the uh, provinces has their own different wrinkle to it. You know, for instance, in Manitoba, all the high school players are registrants of football Manitoba. In BC, 
not only are the uh, are, are the high schools not part of the provincial organization, they play American football. In Quebec, they have uh, CJEP, which uh, adjusts the ages from basically a grade 11 to a grade 13, which turns out to be a fantastic development model for, for football in this country. I think Quebec probably has uh, the best system. I think Football Sask probably has the best organization of, of the uh, PSOs right now. And then, you know, you go to Ontario and, you know, there's some great work being done there right now. But for, for years, it was one region doing their own thing, another region doing another thing, one group being part of uh, the solution, another group staying on the outside and, and, and basically working against the collective. So um, as you go from province to province, there, there has been um, alignment issues. I think as we work through COVID, we've done a lot to address these alignment issues to try to bring everybody in underneath one tent and, um, and to start having those national conversations and to bring youth sports in as an associate member, to bring uh, the CJFL in, to bring the CFL in, uh, quite frankly, to start having those national conversations has, has started to give us traction about trying to discover how we move forward as amateur football. And what role would you envision youth sport and CFL to take? Because the youth sport especially is very entrenched in its system. CFL, of course, a professional league. How do they fit into this? Well, let's uh, first start on youth sport. And I think from an amateur perspective, that is the top of our pyramid. Professional football is not the top of our pyramid. That, that, that There are times where we share a lot in common with them. And there are other times where we're on different tracks and different trajectories. Uh, with, with, uh, with youth sport, um, uh, I'm not sure just how entrenched they really are in their system right now. I think they're very, very open to change through the challenges that they face in terms of funding, in terms of this time off during COVID, and in, and in terms of what the national office is capable of, of, of doing and contributing. Uh, when, when you look at youth sport football, the, uh, the real important work is done by the conferences. It's done by the Canada West and the OUA and the RSEQ and the AUS. They control uh, or manage about 96% or 97% of the actual game inventory. As they move forward, they, they may want to reconsider how they work together. Now, how does that fall in with us? Well, you know, for instance, in Ontario, uh, as they're uh, going through a real reorganization and a real realignment uh, in that province with amateur football, the OUA has stepped up as a member of, of the Ontario Football Alliance. And so they just had a, a weekend of um, basically online coaching clinics, a super clinic, as they call it. The OUA took a big leadership role there in terms of, in terms of teaching, in terms of mentoring, in terms of having that connection with all of those football communities. That's the role that, that, that university football can play. They can play a leadership role for all of the, uh, all of amateur football. I think on the professional side with the CFL, they they can uh, when they choose to play more of a promotional role for what uh, amateur football does. The, the other discussion that we're having right now too is with the CFL Players Association about being a potential associate member, 
And when it comes to the PA, it gives us that direct path to players where players can play that leadership role. We don't have to go through a head office and teams and all of that. We can have that dialogue with the Players Association to, you know, star in instructional videos. Dwayne Mandrusiak is uh, the former Edmonton Eskimo um, equipment manager is uh, now uh, working with the CFLPA. With, with his 49 years of experience, he can play a role working with us when it just comes to how do you fit equipment? How do you choose equipment? How do you put a weight room together? We can, we can pass this information along uh, through videos and instruction and, and take the best path forward. It's, it, it all comes down to relationships and maximizing those relationships. So if you're looking at CFL players, I guess you'd want them to uh, host mini camps or something like that where they would be out in the community getting involved with these players as they come up through the ranks to teach them the skills that got them to professional football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's 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 one role for them too. And, and we have a role for for them as well. They 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 need to to benefit through a path in that, you know, what you do as a player isn't necessarily what you do as, as a coach at an amateur level. So we need to be able to provide um, coaching certification for players that want to pursue a, a path in coaching, whether it's just at the community level or whether they want to move into university and, and coach at university or junior levels to understand um, the differences between amateur and professional football. Because when you've been immersed in high-level university football in the United States and then playing a seven-year career in the CFL, that's a different culture and reality than, than what happens at the amateur level. And plus, there's other educational pieces that we can offer to the PA as well uh, in that mix. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Now, you've been very vocal about the CFL and with its discussions with the XFL. We know that perhaps three down the game, as played by the pros, may be up for grabs. Well, I think one of the things that we put out in our joint communication to the CFL with uh, U Sports, the CJFL, and the CFOA uh, was about field dimension and the ratio. Uh, one of the things we did not bring forward was actually three or four downs. The reason we did that is that in, in Quebec, for example, on the amateur side, they play Canadian football. Everything about it is Canadian with the exception of two things. They play four down football and they play 11 inches off the ball rather than a yard off the ball. Uh, which is the American version, the nose of the football, right? Uh, with that uh, rule wrinkle that they have, they also enforce that you need to pass as an offense one out of every three plays to, to ensure quarterback development. It would be fairly hypocritical for amateur football to make a request of the CFL to ask them to consider the preservation of some, some rules if we've shown flexibility within our own world, you know, when it comes to three or four downs, we just, we just can't do that. I, I do believe that on a 65 by 110 field with 12 men, three downs is, is the obvious answer and the obvious choice uh, at the professional level. 
One thing that we were asking for, though, and I've been doing a survey uh, through the provinces of uh, how many permanent field installations there are with with Canadian markings on them. We can't uh, afford to go and retrofit hundreds of millions of dollars worth of fields uh, across this country. We can't afford, as we emerge from the pandemic, to get ourselves embroiled in a conversation of, oh, are we going to work with hybrid rules? Are we going to shift to American rules? Or are we going to stay and stand pat on Canadian rules? There are only so many hours in the day. These organizations across this country are underfunded, understaffed, and then there's a large volunteer component. If we are burning time talking about what rule set we're we're operating under rather than how do we get players back onto the field? How do we get coaches involved in the game? How do we get more officials officiating football? Those are the three things that we should be talking about, not the three things of Canadian rules versus American rules versus hybrid rules. Key thing is, as we as we come out of the pandemic where we had 60,000 registrants to 55,000 registrants and that dipped because of the pandemic, how do we get that number back up? That's where our focus should be. So the request that went forward to the CFL was all about, let's keep a common field width. Let's keep a role for the Canadian player in, in the ratio. Let's keep 12 men because all of our curriculum is based around the Canadian game. Everything that supports what the, what, what the end result is at the professional level comes through this structure that we've built over a century and a half. In terms of maximum participation numbers, in terms of the cost of change uh, at the amateur level, that's why we came out and said, hey, we'd really like you to consider this moving forward. So, so that, that's what our position in, is. And in regard to the ratio, one of the reasons that many of us believe that some university programs continue their u- university programs, it's a contributing reason, it's not the reason, is that there are professional outcomes. I, I think there are some people out there that believe there's only five or six viable U-sports teams across the country. Well, why does York get a player drafted into the CFL draft every year? <laughs> York's not a competitive team, but they do create a professional outcome for at least one of their athletes every year, or at least the opportunity to pursue a, 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 a professional career. That has value on that campus. That has value in that athletics and academic program as well. So we need to ensure that from a university perspective, and by extension, a junior perspective, that we don't give administrators another reason to take a look at a football program, especially at a time when we have economic challenges coming down the road at us to say, well, they don't provide professional outcomes, they don't provide gender equity, and they cost a lot. There's three reasons that I can cancel a university football program. We don't want to see that in this country. We want to see the other side. We want to see growth. So in terms of the economics, where do you drive the engine that will get some more money into the coffers to help with this entire program? Well, from a uh, from an amateur football side, the answer is flag football. And the answer is flag football for a number of reasons. 
first of all, flag football allows us to, to engage uh, kids at a much younger age. We have programs for, for a basic introduction of football for kids four to seven, and another program, CFL Futures, from, from eight to 12. Uh, that that can engage kids on 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 the basics of the game and and make no mistake I mean we we do have contact football for kids under twelve available in this country but as time marches on contact football twelve man or eleven man for kids under twelve is going by the way of the dinosaur right we with uh, contact football you can make a good case for for kids under twelve for playing six man because the injury numbers. Are, are very comparable to flag uh, at that age. It, it's not a question of collision. And you can, uh, you can teach a base set of contact skills through six-man football. Flag is the future because you've got younger engagement, but flag is also the future because there is a path potentially to the Olympics. And in LA 2028, I think you may have seen some stories about flag uh, appearing at those Olympic Games. This has been underway now for quite some time. At our last IFAF conference in London back in uh, 2019, that was a large part of the discussion is putting flag on the track to, to LA 2028. And the reason that that's important is own the podium funding in this country. Football typically uh, registers anywhere between 6th to 10th in terms of participation numbers through, through a national sports organization. But in terms of actual funding that we get from the government, it's anywhere between 62nd to 65th because we're not an Olympic sport. And it downloads a lot of our uh, national and international commitments to, to, to user pay as well. The Olympic money, if we remain competitive, is going to be a major game changer for us in terms of what we can do and what our profile is uh, internationally. As well, one of the things that we're working on right now is a university open flag championship for the spring. And what that allows us to do is draw in more registrants from the 18 plus set that we took norm normally don't get. We don't do a great job in terms of bringing adults in because we're about development. But if we can provide na more national championships for adults, then we draw in larger numbers and continue that relationship with those participants and it allows us to, to take a stride uh, with flag football to, to go down the road of gender equity. You know, some of your listeners may know of title nine in the United States with, uh, with NCAA for equal representation. We don't uh, have that equal re representation between the genders um, enshrined in, in any sort of law in, in Canada, but it's, but it's a directive that most universities follow. We need to provide more opportunities for women to get in, engaged in the game. And, and that, that path, at least initially, uh, is flag, the WWCFL notwithstanding. With the growth of flag, does it ever dislocate tackle football? Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I, I think we, over the years, have done a good job of rapidly expanding what we offer in terms of uh, national flag competitions. Uh, I think one of our challenges is that we have a directive from a lot of our provinces that you can only charge $15 per registrant. 
Uh, one of the things that we want to continue to ensure as we provide equipment and we provide opportunities is that from a national perspective, we keep our registration number low in terms of the cost. Uh, so there's access for players uh, and athletes from every socioeconomic strata in this country. We've seen the challenges with hockey and that it, it's become not just a middle-class sport, but an upper middle-class sport in terms of uh, accessing opportunities. We don't want to go down that road and, and have those sorts of challenges. By expanding the number of, of national uh, uh, tournaments that we do, uh, I think uh, 12 years ago we had one or two, now we're up to 13. There's some strain there. We're an organization that that probably operates at about, when we're up and running, about 130% capacity. There's a lot of extra hours put in by our staff. There's a lot of extra hours put in by uh, provincial members that, that host these events. You know, we're running all out on, on, on this to, you know, to try to make it a reality. The, all that being said, the numbers that we can expand into for flag tackle is limited because of the resources that it takes to put an individual team on a field with five aside flag you can get five teams for the equivalent of of, of one medium size to large tackle team uh, onto the field you can broaden that participation base so what flag brings in especially because it's not equipment heavy it brings in more money to organizations, and it also brings in a competition outside of that fall competition, if, if you're running it in the spring or the summer, that makes your uh, community organization more sustainable. There is a better cash flow as a result of running FLAG programs. So in the long run, FLAG is going to be sort of one of the keys to the growth of the game in Canada. Yeah, it is. You know, I mentioned that that age 12 kind of cutoff. Um, we have a thing called LTAD, uh, long-term athlete development, and every sport has an LTAD. Football has a has a specific LTAD that quite frankly has been that we license out <laughs> to to some of our European partners. Uh, they've taken a look at our development system and and they are running the Canadian development system. In, in these European countries, not the American one. And the reason they're not running the American one is that USA football basically copied ours and put their own name on it. <laughs> the, the LTAD, the great thing about the LTAD is that it develops a basic skill set for, for kids in football as they move up and as they age. So that at a certain point, uh, a family and the young athlete can decide, do I want to take the path of playing tackle football and be more ready to play tackle football because of all the basic skill set that I've learned through flag, or do I want to remain a, as a flag participant, or do I want to do both? Right. Hopefully, the objective here is that the athlete that comes into the system at a younger age isn't going through a period where they're um, dealing or managing contact football at a younger age, which in some cases drives kids out of the game too young you know, before they mature, but puts them up through the system where when they feel they are ready to engage in contact football, they bring a skill set into contact football. They're not just starting from zero anymore. The LTAD is very important to the development path uh, for these kids as they come up through the system. 
So it seems like these LTADs are more significant to the rest of the planet than CFL 2.0. Well, you know, um, CFL 2.0, I think, is a little misunderstood because there's a business ops portion, there's a marketing portion, uh, and there's that global portion. And I think people focus a lot on the global portion of it. Uh, in terms of the global portion, I think there's a there's a path where they, where we can uh, partner with the CFL in terms of us being in that space for over two decades now internationally. And the CFL, quite frankly, hasn't taken advantage of what we do in that space. I think the way to make international football compelling to Canadians, for them to engage with it, for them to watch it, is the same thing that goes on with the World Junior Hockey Tournament. It's Team Canada. It's our boys. They're going out. They're playing football against the world. We're competitive. We're a leader in, uh, on the planet when it comes to this game. It's easy to rally people around that concept. It's easy to, to then have uh, the viewer then understand other international programs as they face Team Canada. This is the entry point for the concept of international football through a Canadian lens. You know, uh, I know Thadric Hansen's a bit of a folk hero in, in, in Winnipeg, but there's only one Thadric Hansen, right? Making a special teams tackle. I, I, I fail to see how that is more compelling than Canada playing Germany or Canada playing France or Canada playing Mexico in front of 30,000 people and winning a world championship. There's an opportunity for, for the CFL to work with us and take advantage of this. I've had several discussions with Randy about this. It, it's not something that, that that's really in his purview. And, you know, I'll continue to try to have that discussion with them because I, I think it's a real missed opportunity for the CFL to not be working with us to at least be that megaphone for us to, to get the word out. It seems odd to me that the CFL wouldn't be on board. What What is it about them that they don't want to participate? Why stand back? Well, I think they probably feel like they've got enough on their plate right now. They see it through a different lens in that they are about player assessment and signing players that are, are, are professional or somewhat professional ready from, from the global base and how that ties into to broadcast. I, I think the broadcast path is through international tournaments. I think the broadcast path is through Canada hosting these international tournaments and having Canada play these countries that, that the CFL is targeting uh, at these venues. And, and quite frankly, being aggressive and, 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 and not acquiescing to playing American football when we bring these teams over here. Play it on a Canadian field. Play it with 12 men. Make it affordable for these teams that are, that are coming over to, to find a way to uh, pay for their accommodations when they're here on, uni at, on university campuses. Find a way to facilitate that international component that is going to bring those countries in caring about their brand. For instance, if Team Japan is playing Team Canada and they're playing it before a CFL game and there's 8,000 people that have made their way in before the full crowd makes it in, and there's a broadcast level TV broadcast that's going out from that that's being fed back to Japan, is that not compelling for the Japanese football audience to say, wow, that's impressive, and, and hey, it's our boys 
and, and that's a great venue. And tell me more about uh, about this Canadian game that they're playing. I, I, I'd really like to find a way to compel the CFL to look at international football through the other end of the telescope, because I think they're looking through the wrong end of the telescope right now. All right, Jim, where do people find and follow you? Uh, let me see. Um, at Jim Mullen TSN on uh, Twitter. I'm quite active on Twitter, uh, maybe to my own detriment. Uh, <laughs> and uh, footballcanada.com. Uh, those are the two best places to, to find me. If you want to go to Football Canada Prez with a with a Z uh, at the end of it on Instagram, you can see pictures of my cats. Awesome. Okay. Thanks so much for joining me today. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio worth watching. <laughs>